Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Father, we just wanted to say that this morning, that we love you so much. Just love you so much, Lord. We want to say that it's all about you, Father, your name, the name of Jesus. Just in this attitude of prayer and worship, just as you're closing your eyes before the Lord, just soak in His love. You know, we love, we can't do anything without knowing He first loved us. Lord, we thank You that we're not here bragging about how much we love You, but we're boasting in how much You love us this morning. That love that casts out all fear, that love that sets us apart, that love that brings us together. Would you fill this every heart this morning with your love afresh, all afresh on us? We love you, we love your name, that name, Jesus. Thank you that you are, and I pray that you would, from this day forward, in a fresh way, be a light and a lamp to our feet, Lord, that the path forward would be clear and would be defined by Holy Spirit steps all the way. That we know that the leader and chief shepherd of this church, his name is Jesus, and that he has control, and we give you freedom to move. We thank you that we can be here this morning, Lord. We thank you that we can be here to hear a fresh word from your man of God this morning that's going to deliver it into our hearts. So we open our hearts, we open our lives this morning and say, come and have your way, not our way. And everybody with faith said, amen, amen. Well, thank you, worship team. Thank you. You may be seated. And it's my name's Brad, if you haven't figured that bit out yet. <laughs> Probably don't need to say that bit. And it's great to be with you. And what a special day it is, a special day um, for, 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 for us as a church. I've uh, been here a couple of months now in the role and just really finding my feet and settling in and, and falling in love with the, what God is doing here and, uh, and the people. Uh, we are blessed with some wonderful people in this church, aren't we? Hey? Well, that wasn't convincing, but we are. We really are blessed with some wonderful people in this. I like you. Maybe you don't like yourself. I think you're all right. And uh, so it's wonderful to be with you this morning. A very special day. Also a special day for me personally, as in a moment right now, I get to introduce our guest speaker, who I'm so thankful has come and uh, left his community, the Red Door Community Church, to be with us and bless us this morning. And it's very special for me because years ago, when there was a church south of the river called Riverview South, and Pastor Adam and Dale Meredith were, were in leading that church. And there was a decision and a long story, a whole other God story, in fact, and another sermon I'll have to get Adam back for, is uh, when they became their own autonomous church, the Red Door Community Church. And through mutual friends, I was blessed to be able to meet Adam around that year and then blessed to be able to speak and guest speak at their church that year. And just really, I just felt part of their family and to this day have always felt part of the Red Door Church family and um, so much so got to speak at their youth camp, got to speak at their uh, other camps and and, and just just being a part of their family and and really felt blessed that I could be of service uh, with Adam in the church and uh, and so I want to say to Adam this morning, welcome to the Kalamunda family, welcome to our family, Uh, we are all family and I want to welcome you here. In fact, I remember also just to give a bit of context, I when we were going through our hospital journey, one of the toughest times that we've been through, as many of you know, 
one of the first phone calls I made was to was to Pastor Adam and reached out and they just supported us as a church, supported our family. So much so they even did a prayer meeting at PMH and filled up that little chapel and had people praying and praying and, and then helped us in generous ways and looked after us and supported us. So we, they have a special place in my heart and I, I say all that to say thank you Adam for modelling to me what leadership looks like with a kingdom heart, with a kingdom mind. Thank you for the way that you, you've loved us and supported us and and this has been, to me, a special privilege to welcome him because he's welcomed me many times, but this is an opportunity I get to say, you know, lean in, church, family. Uh, I just love this man. I love his heart for the kingdom, his heart for Perth. And the thing I really love about him is when you're around Adam, you just feel like, feel like God loves you a little bit more. And that's how I feel. So would you give a warm welcome and please welcome Pastor Adam Meredith, who's going to preach this morning. Bless you. <laughs> Mate, that was a really good intro. I think it's the best one we've had. Well, Kalamunda Church family, you, I'm feeling a little bit envious today because uh, Brad and Sky are now fully planted here, which means uh, they're not going to be all the time with us over at Red Door. So that's a bit of a shame. But huge thank you for having me today. Real honour to be with you and uh, love this family. Love the Pattersons. Love the journey they've been on. Uh, one of the things I enjoy about Brad is when he's talking about scripture and teaching. I think one of his greatest thrills is to see uh, that revelation come alive in someone's eyes. And when, he, when that illumination happens, I know that's kind of that moment that, that Brad lives for. So you are in good hands here. And I'm so blessed to be kind of with you today as we, as we share some time together. Um, like like uh, Brad said, Red Door Community Church, you're probably thinking, what does the Red Door stand for? Um, you know the story of Exodus. We just had Moses on the stage two seconds ago. So you should know what that is all about. Uh, you know, God said plague after plague, the final plague that God sent to try and get His people uh, to be to be freed from Egypt under slavery was the firstborn of uh, every family in Egypt would perish. But God didn't want His family, the Israelites, to perish. So He had a plan. He said, "Take the blood of the lamb." Uh, and uh, slaughter it and put it on the doorpost, make the door red, so to speak, and your family will be saved. Your family will be rescued from death. 2,000 years later, that uh, lamb has been slayed. It's the lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, and his blood has been shared on the doorposts of our hearts, and we are forever rescued because of him. And so today, as much as uh, Red Door's our church name, we all share in the blood, don't we? We all share in the rescuing, saving, redeeming blood of Jesus. And uh, I, I uh, forgot some of those things, Brad, um, the journey we've had. Uh, love you, man. Big time love you. And uh, I think um, to give a little bit more background about Adam, Adam, uh, uh, 48 this year, been married 23 years this year, so it's kind of getting serious now. Um, we, I've got three children, uh, 20, 18, and 16, and uh, a real joy to... Um, uh, be leading a church community in uh, Coburn for the last 10 years. Uh, if you kind of, if you want to get to know Adam, you can kind of get to know me. I like gardening. I like sneakers. I like, I love the church. And you can kind of get to know me in a certain way, right? With all the things I like and I dislike. Um, but if you really want to get to know Adam, you've got to meet my wife, Dale, right? There's something about my wife that brings out more of who Adam is when I'm around her, right? There's something very unique. If you've been married 14 minutes, you'll know that that is true. 
today as we consider the church, today you're in a very, uh, the brink of a new season as a church. As we consider the church, I want you to know that if you feel like, well, I can just know Jesus by myself. I don't need to know his bride. Actually, what it does, you can know Jesus, but just by himself and kind of be isolated from his bride, his church, but you'll only get a sense of like a two-dimensional Jesus, so to speak. You only see part of him. But when you see him as you connect with his bride, as you love his bride like he loves his bride, you get to see more of who Jesus is. You get to see the significance of who he is. I saw this video uh, a little while ago, and uh, it's just a bit of a short clip of this strange uh, animal that they call, uh, it's going to play right now, hopefully. It's a pug dog. And this pug dog is actually not licking the water. He's licking the shadow of the water. See, this is what it's like, Christian. Sometimes when you don't plant yourself in a church family, right, you can believe that you're taking the living water, and, and in many ways, you are close to it, but when you enhance it by the fact that we are his bride, we are his body, when we're connected into the fullness of who his church is, the body of Christ, we actually don't live in the shadows anymore. We live in the fullness of who Jesus is. Does that make sense? And so today, I really want to encourage you in this fresh season, this new season that, that this church is embarking on, a fresh day, to lean into the concept of what is it to be one? What is it to be His church, one church? And so we're going to jump in, in John 17 from verse 20. My wife is speaking this morning at Red Door on John 15. I'm telling her I'm doing John 17, and John 13 got referenced a little bit earlier, so we're in John. It's on the screens. John 17, verse 20, and it says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also that those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as you are I, as you, as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me. Next slide. Because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Uh, Father, on this new day for Kalamunder Church, God, we want to ask, Father, if your spirit to remind us that the, how we connect to one another is so important and how it reflects how you are f eternally connected, Father to Son, Son to Holy Spirit, that there is a connection that cannot be broken. Father, thank you that you would illuminate your word to us this morning, that there would be a freshness about what it is to be the body of Christ together. In Jesus' name, amen. There's so much to cover in John 17, I'm not going to try and get through it all today. But first we must understand that unless you have unity with Christ personally, it's hard to have unity with one another. 
Does that make sense? So today we're not necessarily talking about what it is to be reconciled with Christ as an individual. We're talking about what it is to be reconciled one to another because of Christ. It's because of His work. We are uh, the body of Christ locally, nationally, globally. We are the capital C Church. Uh, unfortunately, in heaven there isn't a, a corner where all the Church of Christ people hang out. Uh, Jesus said he would build his church. He didn't say he's going to build his churches. It's one church. And how we reflect that locally is so important because we hold to that nationally in a city. So the, this morning, my focus in terms of unity is what is complete unity that John 17 speaks of? Why is it so important and how can we get it? So what does it mean, complete unity? Does it mean the same local church? Does it mean no more denominations? No, it can't be because it says that the world will see that the Father has sent the Son. There's something about complete unity that is so starkly unique that the, the, John 17, the prayer of Jesus, says that it's something so powerful that the world will see that the Father had sent the Son. And so I don't know if we've actually seen that yet. I don't think it's referring to structural organizational unity because we've done structural unity, haven't we? You see lots of denominations, but still the world has not yet seen so radically that the Father in heaven has sent the Son, Jesus. Unity is not about uniformity. It's not about conformity. It's not about creating a structure that contains, restricts, or controls. It's not about coming to a combined set of agreement on a particular difficult issue. Unity is simply relationship, a way of standing with others. Despite our differences in substance and style and saying, we are one. We reside under one name, and his name is Jesus. Actually, being one with each other and with Christ is not an optional deal. Being one is the desire of Christ. In separating, in dividing, in disputing, we throw doubts upon the oneness of who God is. Because if we're divided and we're His body, do you see how it connects to the question mark of, is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one as they really are? If they are one, surely our resemblance of their unity and oneness should be in line, in tune. Does that make sense? The world will not be persuaded by doctrine, <laughs> a good argument. It will not yearn for communion with the Father on the basis of well-argued theology. It will turn from destruction to hope, because, not because of moral judgments or condemnation. The world will yearn for the Father when it sees the church be one with each other, just as Christ is one with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? All of them will be one. All of them. Not just people from the same nation, not just people from the same denomination. It was interesting, historians, when they look at the, the, the rise of different uh, national religions, it was very normal that this nation would have this religion, this nation would have this religion. Christianity was so remarkably different that it didn't matter what nation you came from, it didn't matter what social circle you came from or the security that you had as an individual, what sort of um, stature you had as an individual. Christianity broke through all the barriers of cultural connections because in Jesus we believe that He's the Savior and God of all people. And so what's starkly different 
is that it wasn't even, it was a unity that goes beyond national lines, cultural lines. This is such a striking aspect of Christianity. The spiritual truth is actually we are one. We are one already. But this, I believe the Spirit of God in this hour is leading us all to live like that is true. To live like it's true. Does this mean we have to become the same? No, it doesn't. But actually the walls need to become, actually come down enough. To drop the walls enough. Just enough... Not that we lose our nuances, but actually that we can have relationship one to another. We need our differences, you see. Our differences actually prove that our unity in Jesus is actually real. To have relationship, a loving relationship within the body of Christ, both locally, state, nationally, what does that look like? I've got just some quick little thoughts about what does it look like that when the walls come down, how can we have relationship enough? What does that relationship look like? What does a loving community look like? Just some, some thoughts to probe you, to be honest. It says this, um, firstly, um, in Acts 2, this idea of leaders as a church leader is when you see someone in the body in need, I, I love to resource the church. One of the things that gives me greater joy, because when we resource the church, like you've got to remember, this is Red Door, re- I'm not, please, please know that I'm not blowing my horn here, but what I'm trying to say is the idea of when you see someone else in the body hurting, we all hurt. And therefore, can we help one another in a way that declares to the world around us that we are actually one family? So Brad, you know, had some wonderful things to say about supporting his family. I'm like going, yeah, that's because we're family. Why, why, why wouldn't you? Now, does that mean you need to be connected to every single individual in the body of Christ? No, but those who you are, when they're hurting, do you hurt? Do you hurt enough to share possessions one with another? Secondly, sharing problems. Galatians 6, bearing one another's burdens, asking for help. Not proud enough to ask for help. Uh, number three, one in sharing truths about each other. Oh, now we're getting intimate, aren't we? You know, that sense of Ephesians 4, speaking truth in love. Speaking truth in love one to another. You see, you can tell who your real friends are. They're the ones who stab you in the front. Your bad friends, they stab you in the back. But the body of Christ should be getting used to the scalpel work of stabbing each other in the front when we see things that aren't right. We're doing it in love because we love each other. That's what it kind of looks like as a loving community. That's, that's kind of a hard one, I get. One in sharing failures. Um... That's not easy. We don't like to share our failures, do we? Uh, Proverbs 29, 25 refers to the concept of fearing God above fearing man. When you fear God, you can actually share your failures one to another because you're not fearing the opinion of another person. Uh, When we share our failures, actually the power of transparency is far greater than the power of perfection. You know, when we uh, have enough courage to share how things really are, it actually causes people to come together even closer. When you share your sense of where I've missed it, where I've missed the mark. When you confess sin to one another. I don't know if you've ever had someone come and confess sin to you. Do you kind of go, oh no, I can't be with you anymore. No, I'm sure all of you have that sense of, I actually admire you even more now. Because when we share our failures one to another, it actually builds a unity that the, like the world has never seen. One in sharing someone else's initiative. 
Man, the, the body of Christ has some amazing initiatives, but we tend to go, oh, this is what we're doing. Let's make a name for ourselves. Man, find an, find an initiative and don't push your own agenda. Go and support someone else's. Man, that's a great way to, to reveal a loving community. One in sharing pain. James 5.16. It's talking about that, that picture of when we share one another's burdens and, we, and we, we, we confess our sin, he is so faithful to heal. So that idea that in the body of Christ, there are areas of pain that exists within local bodies, statewide, the body of Christ in Perth. There's pains, and that pain needs to be healed by confession, by building trust, building proximity one to another. When you share pain you actually have an opportunity for healing to occur. One of the things that I love about unity is we must recognize that unity must be visible. If unity is just heart, right? Oh, I love that church. But when unity is made visible, there's something powerful about it. It's demonstrated. And so when we have a loving community, that's not just, I feel it in my heart, you know, warm fuzzies, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. But when it's demonstrated, the world can see that we are one. Does that make sense? The love we have for one another must be visible. Unity must be visible. It's a bit like faith without works is dead. Similar in the sense that if unity without a sense of demonstration is dead. But please don't mishear me today. Unity is not the goal, right? Jesus is our goal. Well, you can talk about unity and there's sort of this emphasis of being one. Yes, but unity is more like a fruit of faithful followers of Jesus. When you are faithful, follow, faithful in following Him, when you are a disciple of Jesus, unity almost comes like a fruit, like a natural byproduct. You want to be with family. Just as you were born into a physical family very naturally, you're also born into a spiritual family. I want to just quickly read um, Ephesians 4 from 1 to 6. I've got it on the screens there. Because it describes about making every effort. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Kind of a prerequisite, by the way, if you want to be family. Be humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep, make every effort to maintain. Remember, unity is something, not something that we have done or can create. It's already been done in Jesus. But we make every effort to keep or maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So why, why is this so important? Why are we talking about unity today? What's the, what's the angle, Adam? Well, John 17, we just read it, that the world would know that the Father had sent the Son. That Jesus is basically saying in John 17 that unless the world sees an inexplicably compelling, loving community, unless Jesus is Lord of that community, unless that, until that community is strong, the world will not believe in the claims of Christ. Do you know the claims of Christ are like crazy? Have you ever tried to explain to someone the claims of Christ? So Jesus is God. God came, put flesh on. He came to earth. He died. God died. 
What? Uh, then, th- three days later, he rose again from the dead. He ascended. He just vanished into the, uh, heaven. And then his spirit, the claims of Christ, in some ways, are crazy. But the world won't believe those claims unless it sees the evidence of those. It sees, sees behind those claims and sees a loving community who is living out those claims in a way that nothing can separate us because we are his children. You can kind of think about this from two kind of aspects, a negative aspect and a positive aspect in terms of how John 17 is described. Um, firstly, the negative way, we'll get away with the, the harder one first, hey? Um, the honour and the name of Jesus is bound up in the qual- quality of Christian community. So I read a commentary that says this, um, this last week actually, um, do you know any churches like this? So just a, just a caveat, I'm not saying this is what Calamunda's like, by the way. This is just an uh, explanation of what some churches can be like. Do you know any churches that have gossip, insensitivity, negative criticism, jealousy, backbiting, an unforgiving spirit, failure to welcome people of all races and classes, cliques, coldness, greed and selfishness? Do you know any churches like that? It's not here though. But I think you know what I'm talking about. Because when we see that kind of activity in the body of Christ, in John 17, Jesus is literally saying he's almost giving the world the right to reject him when he sees those kind of activities playing out in the body of Christ. That's pretty hardcore, isn't it? I'm going, man, I don't want to be a reason for someone to reject the claims of who Jesus is. And so... When we think about John 17, actually division in the church is breeding atheism in the world. Yeah, oh, sorry. Kind of a bit hard today, isn't it? Are you okay? Are you okay? I, I, I suppose a, I'm going to get to the reason why I'm talking about this today in just a minute, okay? You're going to love this, by the way. So I had the negative one, right? Now the positive one, okay? It must be possible to have this kind of community if Jesus is talking about it and praying for it. It must be possible. It must be possible. Just read um, Acts 17, 26 to 27. Uh, from one man, he has made all the nations. Who? God has made all the nations. That he should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he, is not, not far, though he is not far from any one of us. I, I love the, the master orchestrator picture presented here. Do you not know, Kalamunda Church of Christ, that God has divinely ordained you to be here, right here, right now? And it must be possible for us to experience the oneness that Jesus is praying for right now, so that the world around us can see who Jesus really is. If our goal today is to, oh, we want to make Kalamunda Church famous in this area, I'm going to let you know we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle if that's our prime motive. But if our prime motive is to make Jesus famous in our region, in our geographical space, in this city, our posture is not towards self, it's towards Him and oneness is possible. 
So why is this really important right now? Do you know that whenever there is changes in leadership of any kind of sort, it brings potential for division like nothing else? I have seen so many changes in leadership of churches. To be, sadly, to be seen really great examples of that space done really, really well. And so Brad says, can you come and talk in the, the induction? I'm going, oh, if I, if I am, I want to talk about the fact that the more we center ourselves on a man-centered posture about the local church, right, we will find it hard to access the unity that Jesus is talking about. Let me put it another way. If you're here today, and you probably won't know this, well, I know you won't know this, if you are more postured as a disciple of church than a disciple of Jesus, you're going to find the leadership change that's about to unfold because leadership changes slowly. Brad's sitting there going, yeah, I'm not going to change everything tomorrow. Right? You know what I'm trying to say, don't you? Now, he's wise because he do it gently and take you on a journey. But the fact that a leadership change has occurred means things are going to shift over the course of time. Now, you're going to find that really, really difficult to maintain unity. Remember, make every effort to maintain unity. Right? Unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If you are a disciple of church... Because change actually agitates the idols of your heart. That's what happens. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're like, oh, I can't wait for the change to see Jesus glorified in this place. Does anyone hear what I'm trying to say? I know it's hard with masks. Thanks for wearing masks today. Hey, I feel like an absolute privilege not having a mask on. So thank you. But I think what you, get, you get what I'm trying to say, don't you? Change is the test to determine who you're actually following. Are you following Jesus? Because if you are, you'll be excited for the next season to come. Because I know Brad wants to see Jesus glorified in this church family, in this city, in this state. That's his posture. That's his family's posture. Do you know that in this, op in this hour, so we're talking about February 2022, the fact that we're wearing masks, the fact that we're having vaccination conversations, the fact that we're having how do you have a church meeting people without masks, with masks, vaccinated, non-vaccinated. Do you know the potential for division in this time? Do you, do you sense it? Do you feel it? Man, I, I feel it. And if we are the church because we hold to a different position about vaccinations, about vaccination passports, about any of this stuff, if we're unified because of that stuff, we have left Jesus at the door and we are no longer unified in Him. We're unified because of our stance about a particular issue in our world right now. It's gone quiet, I know. I know. Actually... We can get so caught up in what the enemy's doing, right? We can, absolutely can. But I want to be more caught up in what God, the Lord is doing. The, the enemy is looking for division. That's how he destroys. When he can divide, he can conquer. No question. But what the Lord's doing is just awesome. I love his wisdom is above the enemy's wisdom. As our differences, like how many myriads of denominational divisions are there across the body of Christ? Is it possible that in this season, there's a growing sense that the capacity for division is getting larger and larger? Could further division in the body of Christ be approaching? 
you look at stuff and you go, well, yeah, it feels like that a bit. What is the Lord doing? I'll tell you what the Lord's doing. As the potential for differentiation grows, everyone say differentiation. Now, you can add in whatever you want as the reason for differentiation. As the potential for differentiation grows, so too does our capacity to reveal that our unity in Jesus is real because those matters do not matter. Only who matters is the Lord Jesus. And He is the one who's causing us to be family. He's the one who's causing us to be one. And so as a result, as the potential for division grows in our city, in the church so too does the potential for us to see his kingdom come. Man, that's exciting to me. Like, even just talking about it, I'm on the edge of my seat as I feel spiritually going, what's the Lord about to do? Something's about to unfold. And many of you I know are feeling a sense of expectation in this season. That expectation will only be realized as you fix your eyes on Jesus and not on what your neighbor is doing in relationship to this season and how they're navigating it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You may be thinking, Adam, that's fairly wishful thinking, bit of idealism, nice positive speech here, mate. You know what I'm trying to say, don't you? But John 17 speaks of a unity so radical that I don't think we've ever seen it before, to be honest with you. And there's an onlooking world, and please be assured, they are looking. They are watching. You might think, no one's watching Callum under Church of Christ. They're watching, and they're waiting. They don't know it, but they're waiting to see the unity that is in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit reflected in the unity of His family. They're waiting to see a radical unity like the world has never seen before. How can you, all you lot, be in the same room, love each other, share resources, care for one another, inspire one another by encouraging another person's initiative? How can you do that when you think differently about vaccinations? The world doesn't understand that. Have you been on social media lately? Have you seen the division that exists? Man, there is a unity that is about to be expressed in the body that's going to unlock freshness across our city, across our globe like never before. So the question is, how do we get it? How do we get this unity you're talking about? Uh, I'm sitting here going, yeah, tell us, Adam. Like, like I want to know too. It's obviously not easy, is it? You know, human beings don't naturally operate like this. Humans tend to default towards um, comparing one another. Because honestly, we're, we're all insecure at the very core of who we are. And all of us are, in, in a sense, trying to justify ourselves. I'm talking about in the flesh, you know. I'm not talking about who we are in Jesus. I'm saying at the core of the fleshly part of humanity, we're trying to justify ourselves. And Jesus says here, in the middle of what we've just read, that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is remarkable. Did you pick up what I read there? To the same degree that God loves Jesus, he loves you. Brad set me up just as he prayed. Did you, did you notice where you prayed? That we would know that we are loved. Because if you believe that, things will change. But there's something else you could believe. You could believe, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. I've been good. 
If you live with a posture and a, a stat stance of going, I've been a good person, you'll actually always live insecure because how good is good enough for you to get in the front door of heaven? But when you know that the Father loves you just as He loves His own Son, Jesus, you'll live secure. That's amazing. This minute, this very second, that breath you took, Jesus loves you. The Father loves you just as He loves His own Son. When you, live, when you experience that, when you receive that, you'll begin to a whole new way of relating to one another. Actually, you'll move from a place of finding insecurity about how you are different to one another and you'll actually begin to celebrate differences because of the security you find in Jesus. Like what I'm trying to say here is there's an hour coming where our differences won't ever be the place of fear. Our differences will be the place of celebration. That's a bit different, isn't it? celebrating our differences. I'm so grateful that I'm not like Brad because we need all of the spectrum in the body of Christ to reveal the magnificence of who God is. If we just have a cookie-cutter person, we go, well, that's pretty boring. But if we have this broad spectrum of followers of Jesus, children of God, suddenly we get more and more. Remember I told you at the start, if you want to know who Jesus really is, you've got to get to know his bride. And if his bride is small and limited and crusty, Right? You're going to get a small piece. see more of who Jesus is, his body. Man, that's exciting to me. And so it's easy to think, you know, when we're walking through this journey that we've landed, we've arrived, we know it all. Um, uh, but it's hard to be molded by a new reality when you have that posture. You know, we're, we're comfortable when we feel like we know it all. Just feel like we don't know it all is kind of scary. But the alternative is to stay in that place of pride and risk falling into, I've got a new word for you today, you ready? Bit of a long one, sectarianism. Everyone say sectarianism? Sectarianism. So if you, if you stay with a sense of, I know it all, I can't learn anything from someone else, they're, they're different to me, I don't want to, I'll keep them at distance, please. You fall into the risk of sectarianism. Sectarianism is seeing unity in uniformity rather than unity in diversity. Does that make sense? And you don't want to be like that. Man, life's too short. Life's an adventure. There's so much more to discover in who God is. I'm talking about here when we talk about differences... I'm talking about what we'd call the secondary matters. We're talking about the non-essentials of the Christian faith. You understand that, don't you? That if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven, the essentials are believing that. But have you noticed that Jesus, when he left the earth, he didn't give us the Apostles' Creed? He didn't give us like, okay, these are the important things, and these are the secondary things. He didn't give us the list. Oh, would have been so much easier if he gave us the list. Do you know what I mean? Give us the list, Lord. He gave us something better. He gave us his Holy Spirit. That would lead us into all truth. If you're willing to let the presence of the Spirit take precedence, you will find much more of a diverse, beautiful family of believers that it's the family that God has made and not the one that you have chosen. But how flexible, how movable... Are you willing to be? How able are you to bear with one another's differences? How quickly 
can you forgive one another? How quickly can you become one because Jesus has called you to be one? See, if you can't humble yourselves because of Jesus' will for unity in, the, in his body, how able are you to allow God's will to supersede your own will? If your will can't be moved, it's going to be di- very difficult to enter into the complete unity that Jesus is praying for. And so bearing with one another, bearing with one another is what I mean by, oh, they're different to me. How able am I to maintain relationship and proximity with another is very much about how willing am I to forgive them for who they are, if I'm being really honest. Forgiveness is at the core of bearing with one another. How are you to do that? How are you quick, are you quick to forgive? Forgive quickly, Adam? I, I don't know if I can, you know. Um, I, I think forgiving quickly means that, you know, they need to uh, apologize. Well, they need to at least meet me halfway. Come over here. Uh, actually, if you do land in that space, you've misplaced what forgiveness is and you've thought forgiveness was about justice and forgiveness is about your personal freedom. Freedom from the prison of unforgiveness. Let God be judge and you don't have to. And that's a really freeing space. Like, for instance, if I keep a person at distance because of their difference, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm actually judge over your difference. But that difference is God's problem, not yours. So live free, able to receive that person, bear with their differences, and you've got the sense of being able to be one a whole lot easier. I want to be a person who forgives quickly. I want to be a person who bears with one another quickly in the body of Christ. So Jesus is the best example of this. So Jesus was the most right person to ever walk the face of the earth. He, if anyone could come and go, hey, you know how you're different? Uh, I'm perfection. Uh, you're not. He didn't use that to his own advantage, right? What he, what he did was he actually laid down his ability, his divinity. He laid down his rightness in order to value unity above being right. Can we say that again? If you've been married for 10 minutes, this is your marriage tip for today. Value unity above being right and your marriage has got a chance of success. Because that's what Jesus did. He laid down his righteousness, right, in order that he could unify himself with humanity. So he valued unity above being right. He laid that down and he's calling all of us to do likewise. So the degree that you've experienced his love, his forgiveness, is the degree that you can forgive someone else. As you bring this home, I'm going to ask the band to come up and help me. So the exposing statement is this, everybody. If you can't forgive others, if you can't bear with others' differences, there's reason to ask the question whether you've experienced God's love in the first place. That's the exposing question. I see brothers and sisters of a diverse perspective enjoying the rich and tremendous liberation together as we accept each other as Christ has accepted us in unconditional love. And this can happen when we look exclusively to the ultimacy of the gospel. But who knows, when you're in church, hurt's going to happen. Hands up if you've had church hurt before. 
Someone's injured you. Someone's said something. Someone's disappointed you. And I know I've carried a lot of hurt from the things that have happened. I've been doing formal ministry for over 20 years now. And uh, one of the things I've realized is that carrying hurt prevents me from being unified with my brothers and sisters. It kind of keeps a distance. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. We talked a lot about unity today. I've given you my best stuff here, by the way. I've got nothing else. That's it. That's all I got. Hanging up my boots. But what I do know is our ability to step into that is a function of our ability to not be carrying bitterness and resentment from something that happened from a brother and sister in Christ that now speaks into the present. Just uh, bow your heads for a minute. Close your eyes. If, if you're here, no one's looking around. I just feel like this opportunity to do business with God today. And you're like, Adam, this unity. Oh, man, I, I want to experience that more. I want to jump into that more and more. I just want to encourage you. If you know that there's pain and resentment from something that's happened in the past, and it's still talking to you today, it's still got a voice, I just want you to raise your hand really quick. No one's looking around. That's great. Just before you and God and say, yep, my heart has been injured by some set of circumstances. And as we stand here today in a new day of a church family under a sense of future and new leadership, the last thing the Father wants for you is for you to carry that baggage of the past into the future. And today He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. And so we're going to do something a little bit strange. I'm not going to embarrass any of you. Keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. Just listen to my voice. If you've been hurt, you know you're carrying that. First question is, are you willing to let it, are you willing to let it go? Because holding resentment can actually feel good, to be honest. I'm right, they're wrong. Are you willing to let it go and let God be the judge of that situation? Are you willing to do that? The next thing I'm going to ask you is a little bit of a different one. I stand here today as a representative of church leadership, and I want to say to you, if you're hurting today, I want to ask you to forgive me. That thing you experienced, that event that injured your heart, that, that moment that didn't reflect the kingdom's best, it didn't reflect the Father's heart, I'm asking for you to forgive me. I'm asking whether you could forgive me as a representation of that moment of whether it was a leadership issue, it was something happened. Can you please forgive me? I was wrong. Forgiveness is the pathway to freedom. And if you could find, you're thinking, Adam, well, you didn't do it. Yeah, but the Father wants to know that whatever happened to you was so significant, so important to Him, that actually he had to send his own son Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for that thing that happened. That's how significant it was. And today he's just asking, are you, are you able just to let the punishment of my son Jesus, just to set that account right? And if you are, your uh, response would be, Adam, I forgive you. Not because I'm anything special, but because Jesus has done everything for you to walk into a new space of freedom and liberty.
you'll know you're free. You'll know you've done business with God. Because down the track, there's going to become some event that's going to probe into your heart and remind you of that past hurt. The way you know you're free is when that probe comes, your heart's not going to react. It's not going to... You're not going to cry. You're not going to shed a tear. You're going to remember it, but you're going to be healed. And so, Father, today, in Jesus' name, for every person here who's felt the pain of those hurts, and I sense some of you may have even had pain relating to this place in the past. And today, I just want to declare over you, over that situation, this situation is forgiven. This situation is cleansed. This moment is healed. Not because you've done anything today, but because Jesus has met with you and you've received his healing touch on your life. And today, Father, as we look to the future of this church family, locally, but beyond this place, into our city, into our state. God, we ask for your kingdom to come. We ask for your will to be done. We ask for you to make your church one. That we would be sons and daughters, fully free, fully alive, to live and breathe and have our being in you as family today. Jesus, I ask that you would empower us to see the answer to your prayer, that you would steer us, direct us into perfect unity. In Jesus' name, amen.